This is a new thing. Um, so, whew, a little weird. I've been building to this for about, probably about 16, 17 years. Dr. Alex Lloyd and welcome to the new Jesus. Um, I want to start uh, with a review again. I'm gonna uh, I need to quit saying I'm gonna keep it brief right because I keep saying that and then not doing it. I really think it will be brief today. Okay everything's still the same. It all boils down to beliefs. We talked about an anatomy of love and how to do that, a belief profiling, how to do that. Um, time was admitted for belief. We're all of life is a journey. Uh, we're either um, just on a road, not too uh, crook in the road yet, but every day we come to forks in the road where we can go high or low, all right? High being the love path, low being the fear path. Uh, it's all about a belief in love. I mean, a real belief, a knowing belief that you feel in your heart, okay? A belief in love. Uh, or a fear of death. And as one goes up, the other tends to go down, uh, so forth. Love B versus self-interest. We talked about that um, last time. Self-interest can look exactly like love and yet be the opposite of love because it depends on why they're doing it, all right? You think they're doing it because they like or love you. They may be doing it because they see an advantage to them in doing it that uh, is not about you, and if that advantage to them was not there, they would not be doing that nice thing for you, okay? So, you can be living in self-interest love A and not know it. In fact, I would say the majority of people that I've worked with were living in self-interest love A and did not know it, all right? Can a righteous person do anything they want to do and still be in a state of grace with a guaranteed I win the game at the end outcome. I believe uh, scripture says yes. Well, if that's true, what kind of freedom does that give you? <laughs> I've, got, I've already got the ticket, okay? I, to heaven, to uh, love, to my best life. I, I've got it. It's not, I may get it at the end, or if I do this right or that right, if, or not if I do too many things wrong. I've already got it, all right? I win. Well, what kind of freedom does that put me in in living my life day to day as far as stress, anxiety, worry, all that stuff, if I know I can do anything I want and I'm still in a state of grace? I've got the ticket. It's over. The outcome is over for me. Okay? Well, I, I, I can tell you how you would feel. Free! That's the Isaiah 40. You will mount on wings of eagles. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not faint. Well, what is the requirement for those things? To wait on the Lord and exchange my strength for His strength. And that's what I get in a state of grace when I understand his miracle plan of love and how he set it up to work, or, or at least understand it to some extent. Freedom! I'm still going to win no matter what. Um, why put the uncalled who God knows are not going to heed his call. He knows they're going to choose seek pleasure, avoid pain. They will never come to Jesus. Maybe they don't even believe there is a God, although I believe they have to fight against their own programming to believe that because we have a homing beacon programmed into us. Um, why didn't he just not create them so that they don't have to be punished? Because love always gives a choice 
to the object of its love. It, it does not force, unless it's a life-threatening emergency or like with a small child or something like that. But as adults in a mature adult-to-adult thing, love does not force, unless the force is for that person's own well-being, like they're hurting other people or may hurt themselves. or so, but, but, but that's sort of an abnormal situation. In a normal situation where someone doesn't have Alzheimer's or, or, something, or schizophrenia or something, um, love always gives a choice to the object of its love, and God does too. God is love, chooses to love. That's what it's all about. All right? So he has to give choice or it eliminates love. If only the people who would choose love are created and lived, then God took away their choice of the other people, which could eliminate love. All right. Um, so that's the nature of God. He chooses love. We're made in his image, okay? If you eliminate the choice, you can eliminate love. All right. Um, the only way that God eliminates love is if he doesn't create them and give them a choice to love or not, to come or not. Okay? I believe, remember, you have every right to disagree with anything and everything I say, but I believe from Scripture... Um, it is the nature of God, and he chooses love always, and it, would, and it could eliminate love if God took away their choice by not creating them. Okay. Um, and maybe the punishment, whatever that ends up being, is simply living without God or love, which I can imagine would be a living hell, no matter what else was there. But if there's no love and there's no God then we really are in survival of the fittest, seek pleasure, avoid pain, self-interest, etc. Alright, so maybe that is the real thing to come that is about seek pleasure, avoid pain with no other options. And it's described as hell. Ever think about that? Alright. Um, Okay, so now, that's it. That's it for the review. Aren't you proud of me? I, I did it much faster, I think. Uh, yeah, looking at the clock, about five minutes. Pretty good. Uh, it's really not that great, but typically it's been about 20 minutes. So, better than that. Okay, so we've still got the minus 10 to plus 10 in everything in our life. And that's all based on energy, positive or negative energy. Uh, e equals mc squared means everything boils down to energy. Southwestern Medical School and Medical Center says the, the source of all illness and disease based on their research on the campus reported by a medical doctor from Harvard. But what their research found is all illness and disease comes from your memories. They called it cellular memories. Well, what are the memories made of? Flesh, blood, bone? T no, 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 no. They've cut out every part of the brain and the memories are still there. That's why they named them cellular memories. They're made of energy. Okay? Just like everything else. Alright? So, you can have overall energy for everything that maybe is a minus three or plus three or zero or whatever. And then you can have an energy for a thousand different specific things. So you could have a negative three energy, but a positive two when it comes to your, um, your life compass, which is one of the diagnostics up here. All right, so anyway, just kind of keep that in mind. It, it, it always boils down to this in your heart and mind. Okay. Um, we keep talking about the formula, the outcome guarantee God gives us um, for the best outcome every time. You can't get that anywhere else but here. If you're experiencing fear and anger when your life is not in danger, it's a pretty good indication you're living in seek pleasure, avoid pain, which would be love A, fake love. 
and, and most likely, as we talked about last week and the week before, if that's the case, you would also be choosing life A, which is the wrong variables and factors to evaluate your life. Life B is the one we should be evaluating our life by. So go back and maybe refresh that if you don't remember it. And here's where we are this week. All right, here's what I want burned in your mind from this week if you don't remember anything else. I'm going, to, I'm going to try to start doing this at the first of each of these. So you sort of have a capsulized takeaway. Um, so you don't feel so overwhelmed like I backed a dump truck up on you. Okay? Discontent is the great shaper of our lives. Discontent is the great shaper of our lives. I want you to think about that this week. Content versus discontent versus intent. Okay, those three. So I want you to think about this week. Number one, discontent is the great shaper of your life and not in a positive way. But there's also the opposite of that, which is content which would be a positive shaper of our life. And then the most important one is number three, intent, intention, because the intention determines the other two, whether you're discontent or content, okay? So in a way, you could boil that all the way down, distill everything else down to that, okay? What is my intention here? Do do I have an intent for good in whatever I'm doing all during the day? Or is my intent not for good, it's for pleasure or pain and self-interest? That's, that's going to lead to discontent. Alright? Alright, one definition of love... Oh, I'm sorry, I jumped down the line. You can't eliminate faith and belief because love requires belief. It all boils down to belief. So you can't eliminate faith and belief because it's, it's required, okay? Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. If you do something believing it's wrong, it is wrong for you. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, etc., etc. So you can't eliminate faith and belief because that determines love. You can't eliminate choice because that eliminates love. You can't eliminate truth because that eliminates love. Uh, because truth always points the way to love and in every memory where there's a problem, a selfish, seek, pleasure, avoid, pain problem, there's a lie or untruth. Now that untruth can be a misunderstanding, meaning your intention was not to do wrong or to take the wrong path. You misunderstood, and yes, I absolutely believe God looks at that in a different way than if, you, than if you understood correctly and just chose to take the wrong road or do the sin, all right? God looks at the heart. God looks at the intention of your heart and mind, okay? So you can't eliminate truth, or then it would just all be a matter of perception. And, and we've talked about that, and some people believe that's true. Perception is reality. So if you have a hundred different people who are talking about the same event that happened, they could have a hundred different truths, a hundred different perceptions of what happened. So if, if perception is reality, whatever that person perceives is their reality, then that means there's a hundred different realities. Well, that's ridiculous. It violates the underlying premise, okay? Uh, everything is perception is a concrete statement. But if everything is perception, then that means there's no concrete because the truth is what each person believes in it. So, it violates the underlying premise. You cannot eliminate truth and allow perception to come true to become truth because the wrong perception will, you guess it, eliminate love. Again, 
and you can't eliminate time because belief requires time. Time was invented for Earth and us humans and what we're doing here because belief requires time. So you can't eliminate time. You can't eliminate pain. Because pain is what works with time to move us to action. Okay. So, and, and also, if you eliminate time, you eliminate finding out what the true belief is because we find out what the true belief is by allowing it to unfold over time. In advance, we don't always know. I, I, I've said a couple of times that when I lecture around the world, a lot of times I ask people, have you ever had a situation where at the time you thought something was bad, but then later looking back on it, you thought it was good? Or have you had a time when you thought something was good, but looking back on it later, you saw, nah, that was a mistake. That was the wrong road to take. That I thought it was right, but it wasn't. And, and whenever, wherever I go, who raises their hands to say, oh yeah, I've had that happen? Everybody raises their hands. All over the world, all ages, all cultures, all ethnicities. What does that mean? It means that I don't know what the true belief is, the right thing, what's going to happen, the, the, the best thing for me until time allows it to unfold and very often time does that in conjunction with pain. Okay? So if I want to know what the truth is, if I, the true belief, right thing, okay, then I have to let go of time. Okay? I have to to basically say, okay, whether it's instant or pretty soon or years, that's not my job. Time's not my job. My job is what is right or wrong, what is the love path or the fear path in any and every situation, or what is my intention? Is it is my intent for good, or is my intent for bad, or is my intent, you know what, I would never intend bad, so I hope this turns out okay for them, but I really don't know that it's going to turn out okay for them, but it will give me what I want, so I'm going to, okay, um, all right, so we can't eliminate faith, belief, we can't eliminate choice, we can't eliminate truth, we can't eliminate time, we can't eliminate pain. Because if we do any of that, we affect negatively and could possibly eliminate love, which is what this is all about. So what's my point in bringing all of those up? Is we have a problem with all of those. We fight against those. We, we especially tend to see time and pain as the enemy. Okay? It's me against them. And them is time and pain. Alright? Well, nothing could be more untrue. Time and pain may very well be the best friend, the best asset for your best life or, or any particular situation that you have. Because if you embrace pain, go through it God's way, let him use that to move you to appropriate action, and you and you put time away from you and 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 don't consider that as a relevant factor because that's not my gig, that's up to God and love. All right, then I can stay, not fight, not flee, not freeze, but embrace the situation, 
learn what I need to learn, grow, mature into the better and better and better version of myself and what Jesus said in Matthew 5, be perfect, and what Galatians 1 says, going through this pain this way, not discontent, but content. Even if it's taking too long or happening too fast or hurts too much, no, that's not my criteria. I'm going to go through it content. So I've got to embrace pain and time. Now that doesn't mean I don't try to make the pain better. It's just that that's not my goal. My goal is the present moment in love and whatever God wants for me through this. Okay. Um, one definition of love I thought of, to me at least, is I've got your back. You've all heard that, right? Uh, the, last the last person that told me that um, was several years ago, and he said it all the time. And what I eventually found out was, yeah, he had my back. He stuck a knife in it, all right? But the real true version of that, meaning I've got your back in a positive way, and not because I have to, but because I want to. But because, because I care about you, I'm committed to love, I'm committed to truth, I'm committed to the right belief, I'm committed to however long it takes and however painful it is, but I am going to stay in right loving relationship with you, and I've got your back, and I want to, and it is no matter what, forever. Well, how do you like being in relationship with me knowing that if that is my commitment and how I feel about you? Probably feels pretty good, okay? How do I feel if I know that about you as far as you're committing to that and you've got my back? Oh man, feels great. That's what we want, right? I've got your back, not because I have to. I want to, remember? Love changes, love and grace change the have to's into want to's. All right, so how do you do that? Because, because I've got your back, that's hard to do, man. Sometimes I'm in pain or I need something and they need something. So I tend to choose me in that circumstance. All right, how, how in the world can I start choosing them? I can, I can want to do that, but that's really hard. How do I do that? Well, you don't have to do that. Love does that, okay? Remember the, the example of, um, of, uh, that I think I shared before, where I was doing a workshop and a very famous person was on the second row, and they stood up at one point during the workshop. I asked them to, and I asked, okay, your 18-year-old son comes to you, is very serious with the young lady, and says, hey, Dad, how will I know when I've found the one? And his answer was, after thinking a little bit, you'll just know. And you know what? He was right. Love, real love, is beyond words. You'll just know. And it's not something you do in your strength, okay? It, it is something God gives you when you choose Him and understand His love for you and grace and you're pricked in your heart. And you will be pricked in your heart about whoever you commit to to I've got your back, okay? And you won't always feel it, but sometimes you will. Okay, uh, Hope and I brought our new baby home, Harry, our firstborn. I'd never felt anything like that in my life. Now, he couldn't talk. All he could do was poop and pee and cry and eat. That was it. But I tell you what, I would have laid down in traffic for that little thing that couldn't even talk without hesitation. I felt so much love and, and, and also toward hope. Uh, 
as I fell in love with her, we married, and over the years that's grown and grown and grown and grown. You'll just know, and and with hope as well, okay? And, and here and 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 that's an interesting thing about me and hope, okay? She is way out of my league, beauty queen, you know, growing up in high school, cheerleader, all that kind of thing. Um, about the best I ever got as far as looks was cute. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was the best I got. I never got handsome or great looking or a stud or no 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 no. I, every once in a while I got cute. Well, that wasn't her. She was beautiful. But I have to tell you, I don't know why or how this happened, but I dated a lot of beautiful girls. Okay? Two or three and this is subjective, but two or three were probably better looking than Hope. But I didn't feel anything for them like I did for Hope. Well, why? What's the difference? What made it Hope and not? We don't know. That's why you say, you'll just know. This love chemistry and all that with other people, whether friends or lovers or significant others or business associates or whatever is a mystery that I think someday we'll know, but not now. And sometimes we know part of it, but not all of it. Okay, so that's what you want. Um, your, the intention of your heart is always good and in relationships, your intent is I've got your back. Okay? Now, you can't have everybody's back. You can't have six, million, six billion people's back. No. But you can have as many people's back as you can. And I believe that will work out over time. All right? You're not going to have 100 people call you at the same time. Or any, but the more people that you have their back and they know you do and they feel that, every one of those will be a loving relationship that will be gold to you as far as your energy, your thoughts, emotions, feelings, brain chemistry, all of that. Remember, uh, happiness equals love full stop, the Harvard uh, experiment, okay? Um, that's what it that's what it's about okay uh, and you never run out of ability for more love or capacity for more love it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and, and the more it's there the farther down fear of death goes and the more content you become even in painful circumstances or things that are, feel like they're taking too long or happening too fast that love having their back, including your own back, will be evidence that that discontent has shifted to content, which is the great shaper of our lives. Okay, we talked about maybe you're not supposed to be responsible last week. You're supposed to be accountable, able to give an account but not responsible because you are not you don't have responsibility to do everything you need to do. That comes from God, not your own strength. If you're doing it in your own strength, you'll do some things good, some things terrible, some things in the middle. Okay? But if you're doing it with God's strength, it'll always be as good as it needs to be. Okay? Um, that's dying grace again. So if you, ha if you don't have responsibility, but you're not supposed to, you're supposed to have accountability, which means you can give up responsibility, the stress melts away. Give up that responsibility you were never supposed to carry, stress melts away, okay? Uh, by the way, um, I've watched that with a person hooked up to heart rate variability and watch that stress just come down in a matter of five minutes. Just whoosh. Something they could do talk therapy forever probably and not affect much at all. Okay, 
Um, we already talked about that. A lot of people live love A thinking it's love B. It's not. Um, we talked about this a little bit last week too. Punishment doesn't seem like love. For God to punish the people who do not respond to his call to love, to the high road, to uh, caring about others, having others back, rather than just selfish, get what I want, all right? Um, that doesn't seem like love to punish people. Well, I believe it is, because love requires justice and truth component, okay? And that's the problem, is if God has to punish someone based on his miracle plan of love, the um, criteria of the new covenant, all right, because they chose self, they chose the fear path, all right, and that's the only people that this happens to, they chose it, okay? God doesn't mandate it. Love requires him to give them the choice, and they made the choice. They just made the fear and selfish choice, okay? But, 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 love requires justice and truth. So, if you're going to say that that's the fear path, and this is all about choosing love versus fear, but then if they choose the fear path, that nothing negative happens, that, that's not love and fear. That's not a clear, that, that's not an equal or even close to equal choice. You've, you've eliminated choice to some extent. If you eliminate choice, you eliminate love. So for there to be love, there has to be justice in time, justice in truth, which means there has to be punishment or a consequence, if that helps you thinking of it as a consequence. That's really a better way to put it. Because in my opinion, the way I read scripture, God doesn't choose to punish them. He desires all to come to repentance. He, he wants everyone to come to Jesus, and he paid the price for everyone. Now, why would you pay the price if you did not want them to receive it? You wouldn't do that. You would just keep the price you paid, which in this case was excruciating pain to God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't do that, all right? But love requires there to be justice and truth, which requires a consequence if they do not choose the path they know is right in their heart, in cons being consistent with their conscience and love versus fear, which we all inherently know that love is what it's all about. Okay, um, one of the biggest tragedies to me is when people turn away from God and love and truth and the high road and all of that because they believe that God is mean. And it happens all the time. It happened with me, all right? I got baptized after a sermon. I was about 10 years old where this preacher banged on the podium that had a microphone on it. So every time he banged it, it was woo all, all through the auditorium. And he, and he said over and over and over, yelling while banging for probably a minute and a half, no hope, no hope, no hope, no hope, man. And, and, and the idea was God is watching you and waiting for you to step out of line. And if you step out of line, whack. But that is one of the greatest tragedies in the world to me. The problem is you're believing wrong. The, the, uh, the faith, belief, giving you choice, leading and guiding you to all truth, which is what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, God's thing of time to give you time to respond and time for pain to work and time for belief. All of that is done for you. That's all done for you. Okay? Your conscience is put into you for you. 
to lead and guide you to when you don't know which way to go, to show you, okay, this is the path of love. This is the path of truth, okay? It's all done for you. So, so to leave God or never answer the call to God because you think God is mean and because you think God is mean, I'm just going to get what I need. That can't be right. I mean, that is just mean. No loving person would ever do that. I'm not having anything to do with that. So I'm just going to keep my head down and get what I need. I uh, had a guy I'd known all my life. Uh, grew up in the same small town. And uh, this happened about a year ago. Uh, has known me all my life. I've known him all, all my life. And here's what he said. If I had proof that there was a God, if God came down and stood in front of me right now and I had proof that there was a God, he said, I would choose to burn in hell. You know what? As shocking as that sounds, I know a bunch of people who feel that way to some extent or other. Now, sometimes it's not that, you know, strong and angry. You know, I'd choose to burn in hell. You know, it's, it's, uh, that, that, that doesn't seem very appealing or, or loving to me. Um, no, I, I, I don't think so. I, I'm, you know, it may be that rather than being so dramatic. But the problem is that is always wrong. A hundred percent of the time. That's not God. That was never God. That was, that was men. That was selfish, messed up, uh, uh, self-seeking, believing the wrong thing for whatever reason, men and women. That was never God. So if you're going to live a certain way out of reaction to people being mean, Make sure you assign it to the people, not, not to God, because that did not come from God. Everything God did was for you. Okay? Um, and here's what I wrote. Don't miss love, success, and your best life because of a mean person. Um, I've shared this too. When I was... 11, 12 years old. My dad had just found out he had severe heart disease and thought his life was pretty much over. And on a Saturday morning, he snapped, started hitting me over and over and over with his open hand while he was hitting me, was saying, Alex, you'll never mount to anything. Alex, you'll never mount to anything. Well, I promise you, for about 15 years after that, I turned away not only from my dad but from God and it sucked all my joy away. People who knew me told me years later used to sing all the time outside, inside, not just in the shower, everywhere. And the day that happened you never sang again. Okay? I was assigning to God the meanness from my dad out of his pain over his heart disease. But, and I was wrong, it was never God, but even though I was wrong, it took away my love, joy, peace, it took away my success, I started failing at everything, it took away my best life for 15 years, all over believing something that wasn't ever true. That's why it all boils down to your beliefs. Okay, pain. It, for, in a lot of ways, pain from a loving God doesn't seem to make sense. We already, we already described why you can't eliminate it because time requires pain. They work together, but Here's another reason. Pain inspires action, which leads to growth and our perfect self. And we already addressed that with the Matthew 
uh, 5, where at the end of it, Jesus says, um, uh, be perfect. But before that, nine times out of nine different things, he said, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. All right? And that word blessed means happy, but let's go a little bit deeper into that definition of blessed. What it really, really means is made holy and declared sacred. That's what the word blessed means from Matthew 5. So blessed are they who mourn. So what does that mean? Well, I believe it means that when you are mourning, God is acting on you and making you sacred, holy, and righteous. So, when I'm mourning, which seems maybe negative to me because it's painful, now maybe if I understand all this, it'll feel less negative because I realize I can go through it with joy and peace with God rather than anger and fear with self-interest. So that helps, okay? But boy, does it help a whole lot more when I know that when I'm going through these painful things, God is acting on me, making me righteous, holy, and declaring me sacred. But the problem with those, righteous, holy, and sacred, is that they require pain, time, and the truthful belief. They require that. So if you eliminate pain, time, belief, choice, you know, back up here where we were talking, if you eliminate that, then you're eliminating the righteousness, holiness, and being declared sacred, which you could have, because it says God does that. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, and all of those are you and apply to you. And what that means is God acts on you, gives you, and makes you righteous, holy, and declared sacred. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, do you feel it? Sometimes, sometimes not. But, but that does not mean it's not there. Okay? Uh, and I believe you can feel it. Here's how. Uh, a lot of you probably saw the movie The Help. Wonderful movie. I think it won an award, maybe a true story even. But, um, oh gosh, that was a wonderful, touching scene that you probably um, are going to remember as soon as I say this, where um, it's about the movie The Help is about um, uh, blacks versus whites, basically, in the South in the 50s. All right, and in this scenario, the blacks were mainly maids for the white people who were wealthier. And so, in this scene, there's a black maid working for a white family and a little white girl that was really, really close to the maid. And because she was a fabulous, wonderful person. And I would have been too. You would have been too in, in that same scenario. She loved that little girl, all right? But, but, the parents were not so kind to the young girl. If she would spill her milk or do something, I mean, they'd yell that, you know, that 10 to 1 ratio every child gets. The way the movie portrayed it, the little girl probably got 10 negatives to every positive, which is not unusual. But anyway, in the movie, when, when one of those painful, hard things would happen to the little girl, the maid would go to her, hug her, get like right in her ear, very, very sweetly, and say, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. And it was a beautiful scene, and you could almost see in the little girl in the, in the movie even, she would just keep saying that. You is kind. You is, uh, I forgot. You, you is kind. You is smart. You is important. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. You is kind. 
You is smart. You is important. And you can almost see the little girl. <sighs> okay. Okay. And when the family fired the that black maid, oh, the little girl was just crushed. And you were too. And I was too watching it in the story. But, do you believe the little girl felt that from the maid when she said that? You is kind. You is important. You is smart. Yeah, she felt it. You could see her. See it on her face and in her body language. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's what God says to us. He's, only he says, you are righteous. You are holy. And I declare you sacred. Alex, I've just done something I shouldn't have done. Maybe an intentional sin, maybe not an intentional sin, maybe a mistake, maybe just something bad that makes me feel bad. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Alex, you are righteous. You are holy. And I declare you, Alex Lloyd, sacred. I am in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. You are one with Jesus. Alex, it's okay. You are righteous. You are holy. You are, I declare you sacred. Well, God does that through the Holy Spirit, through Scripture, uh, maybe through me talking to you now, telling you this. I don't know. Maybe that's, I'm getting way too big for my britches. But somebody else told me this, so I don't take ownership of that. But anyway, I need to be open to God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus whenever in my life I, I need a hug, so to speak, like the little girl in the help, I need to allow myself to be open to feeling, hearing, thinking, believing God's truth. Alex, you are righteous. You are holy. And I declare you sacred. Right this minute. Right after that sin. Right in the middle of the sin. No matter what happens in your future, You've got a golden ticket. I paid for it. It does not have to be paid for again. It's a done deal. You are going to win this life. And you are righteous. I've made you holy. And I declare you sacred. If you don't feel it, it's because you either don't have a relationship with God, and if you, he wants one with you. That's why he made you. It's why he died. Do I pay that high price? Okay. You either don't have the right or enough loving relationship with God, so you need to cultivate that. And he's always ready. So that's your choice too. Or you simply don't believe in the new covenant, in his miracle plan of love, in love be and life be. You just can't let go of the pain, pleasure, end results in your life and leave them to God. You're too scared. Oh no, what if this happened? Oh no, what if that didn't happen? He can control the results way better than you can and he can con control results that you can't ever control. So you are always <laughs> ahead of the game when you give him the end results rather than keeping them for yourself. Okay. God judges the intent of your heart and mind, not your actions. Faith without works is dead, but grammatically, it's faith without works is dead faith. So the problem is not the works, it's the faith, which again, everything comes down to what you believe. 
So you can't eliminate belief and choice because the right belief and choice leads you, leads you to making the love choice, to seeking until you find the truth, the whole truth, God's truth, being patient in time, allowing God to use pain and time together to make you the more perfect version of yourself, etc., etc. Okay? So the issue is always belief and faith, not works. Works is just a symptom. You can sometimes tell from the works where the faith and belief are, not always, but it's all about the faith and belief. So, the key to, in one sense, everything in your life is to have an intention for good in all things. Uh, I want to read you, uh, my son Harry wrote this. Harry is a born philosopher, and he is so far beyond me, it's not even funny. And I asked Harry if he would, what Harry's great at is distilling a whole bunch of stuff down to one simple little nugget. That's what he's great at. I don't have any of that, as you've noticed by the length of time of most of these things and me repeating myself over and over, okay? I don't have that, all right? I have some other gifts, but not this one. So. Let me read to you, um, it's not long, what um, one wonderful 28-year-old had to say about all of this, trying to distill it down. Okay, here it is. Discontent is the great shaper of our lives. That's where we started for this week's stuff. So let me, let me start over because there's not a period there, even though I put one here. So here we go. Discontent is the great shaper of our lives, for good or ill. And it is guided not by our actions or circumstances, but by intent, intention. Intent determines the direction in which we grow, okay? We're going to grow up toward the sun and bloom or down toward the ground and die, all right? It determines the direction in which we grow and discontent, the restless aspiration, provides the resistance required to build spiritual muscle. The best version of yourself, your perfect or close to it life. Okay? I'm gonna read that one more time. Uh, I've shown this to like three people, and I think every one of them had to read it like four times to really get it. I had to read it three times. Here we go again. And, and, and let this be the takeaway that you pray and meditate over this week. Discontent is a shaper of, of our lives for good or ill. And it's guided not by actions or circumstances, but by intention. Intent determines the direction in which we grow. And discontent, that restless aspiration, provides the resistance required to build spiritual muscle. Okay? So discontent or being content shapes everything in our lives, and what determines discontent or content is your intent. So, during the day, all day, do you have an intention for good in everything, all things, during your day, or do you not? Okay? I would make a list. I would, I would, uh, I would examine this week your thoughts and actions based on the thoughts and emotions and feelings and see, um, am I more, what is my intention 
Is my intent always for good, or is it sometimes just selfish? Well, okay, so let's, let's take an example, okay? Um, one of my jobs is to empty the garbage, all right? Um, I wouldn't say I have fun em emptying the garbage or hate emptying garbage. It's just one of my things, okay? But I would say if it was totally just preference to empty the garbage or not, I'd probably choose not, okay? So if I'm in a hurry and I'm walking past the kitchen to get to my office or something and I notice the garbage is overflowing but I'm already five minutes late, how do I decide what to do? Well, I have thoughts with emotions and feelings attached to them. One of the thoughts is, I should empty the garbage. It's my job. If I don't do it, Hope is most likely going to need it before I have a chance to come back three hours from now, and it's going to be an imposition on her if, if it's overflowing and she can't throw anything away. And she may feel negative to me because she knows that's my job. And for all I know, she may have even seen me. She may have been watching and I didn't even know and saw me look at the garbage and think about it a second and then go on. Well, if I, if I did that, how would that affect her? It, it, probably negatively. He knows that's his job. Why didn't he do that? I've got to go down there and empty the the uh, out-of-date stuff from the refrigerator, but I can't do it because the garbage is overflowing. Oh, I guess I'll just do it myself. And now, all of a sudden, she and I are like this. All because I let my intention go in my heart and mind somewhere, in it, somewhere it shouldn't have gone. I knew without a shadow of a doubt, 100% when I passed that garbage can, that if my intention is always to the good as far as hope and my chore of, of emptying the garbage, that I should empty the garbage, 100%. No doubt about it. So why did I not empty it? Why did I chew the flesh? Seek pleasure, avoid pain. It's not a fun thing to do. I don't really want to do it. I'm already late. So what I, what I basically do is do a little algorithm calculation. My unconscious mind really does it for me. It happens like that. It's filtered through every memory I have and all the beliefs related, even ones that conflict with each other. And so I say, okay, yeah, I should do it, but I'm not going to do it right now because I'm late. I, I choose me. I choose my pleasure, my pain, my needs, what I need to do. I choose that. Well, guess what? That's not an intention for only good. That's an intention toward selfishness, toward my pleasure pain, even if it causes hope, more, ple more, more pain and less pleasure, which it absolutely would if that hypothetical scenario played out that way, which is not hypothetical because it's played out that way many times. So I try not to do that anymore, okay? But I hope you see, uh, no matter whether it's a big thing, a little thing, a circumstance, no matter what it is, you can have an intention for only good or an intention for what I want. Okay? So what is yours? And I can almost guarantee you that the areas of your life that are not going the way you want them to go, I can almost guarantee you you have a wrong intention about that. And whether the thing changes or not, if you change your intention and then act based on the right intention, the circumstantial thing very often will take care of itself without you having to do a thing. In, 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 the, in, in the previous example, today, if I pass the garbage can and it's overflowing, I'm already late, all that sort of thing, 
my mind still does the calculation and algorithm. I can't keep it from doing that. But no matter what comes out, I'll overwrite it if it's the wrong intention. And I'll say, no, 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 no. No. If I'm going to have an intention only for good, then I need to empty the garbage can and I need to do it now. And you know what? I do it and it's no big deal. And sometimes I even find myself singing joyfully, taking out the garbage or cleaning a toilet or doing some other chore around the house that typically in the past I would never really be joyful about doing. Okay? But I am now. How? Because love changes your have-tos into want-tos and the intention of your heart, if it is all and only for good leads you to love if it if that intention is for me and what I want whether it's good for you or not good for you that'll lead you to fear okay so yes in a sense discontent is the not just a but the great shaper of our lives Discontent or content determined by your intent. What is the intention of your heart and mind? About everything in general, about certain people in relationships, about every trivial little thing like taking out the garbage. Is it always for good? Or sometimes for good, but if push comes to shove, I'm going to get what I want. Which intention you have will determine life experience, emotions, hormones, chemicals, uh, love, fear, best outcome guarantee, or not. Going through pain with joy and peace versus anxiety, anger, your best life or nowhere close to your best life. You may still be saved, okay, but you've just had your best life stolen away from you to just kind of get through it. All right, so the key to all things in one sense is intention for good in all things. One of the reasons I like this um, intention, discontent, content angle a lot is because it's so simple. In any situation you're in, you can ask yourself, ask your heart, ask your conscience, ask God, okay, what is, what is the good intention here in this situation? I want to live my life with the intent for good only. Okay, what is the intention here? Uh, garbage. Um, <laughs> the intention is I don't want to do it and, and want to do something else. That's the intention, all right? Well, what should be my intention? What would be the good love-based intention? Simple. I committed to do this chore it's here for me to do, it's time for me to do it, and I need to do it. Okay? And not as a have to, as a, this is wonderful because I've committed to uh, having the intention for good only, and I was tempted to not do that here, but I was able to overcome that. I believe with God's strength, as we've talked, not mine, but I do it, and, and you know what? It wasn't bad. I was okay. I was even a little joyful, or I, I am sometimes, and it was nothing. And then after it's over, I am really glad I did that, because if I hadn't done that, it might have put me in hope crossways later. And now, it not only will not put us crossways, but there's a good chance she'll say, hey, hun, Hey, thanks a lot for emptying the garbage. I appreciate that. I needed to clean out the refrigerator and I saw it was full and I thought I was going to have to do it. Thanks a lot, okay? So it, 
it's also respecting and honoring that relationship that that activity is part of. And, and so I do the good intention thing because I want that relationship to be more and more and more and more loving, better and better and better for both of us, and to create more positive energy in me, which is exactly what it will do if I honor that relationship for only good intention and nothing else. Okay? Uh, a question and then that's it. What if someone had a hundred circumstances to sin or not sin and they sinned all a hundred but God looking in their heart saw that their intention in all of those hundred was good and not to sin they just innocently missed it well I believe what scripture says about that is they're in a state of grace. They're forgiven. There's, the sin is not counted against them. Um, the, the intention for good worked. God judged them on the intention, not on the hundred sins. Okay? So let that one uh, uh, saturate your brain and um, ferment this week and see what you think about that. So... It just simplifies things so much. If I can honestly, in, in overall, in the big stuff, but also in the hundred little trivial things a day, have a commitment that my intention is for good only in all things. And I'm going to start paying attention and running it through the computer to see, oh, I'm not just going to act anymore. Before I act, I'm okay. What is the intention for good here? What is the intention for selfishness here? And let me, with the grace and help of God, make the right choice. What's your intent? If it is not for good, how about let's change it? I'll be happy to help you. God will even more. Have a wonderful, blessed day.